Electricast. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the SNSW Podcast, it's time once again to crack open the championship vault and take a look back at the 12 championships that the Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, and Patriots have won since the year 2000. On this episode, we'll take a look back at the 2003 New England Patriots, a season where a team universally regarded as one-hit wonders, led by a quarterback who was nothing more than a game manager, and a coach who was hated by his team, would once again prove the doubters wrong and use that doubt to launch the most successful reign in NFL history. This is the New England Championship Rewrap, the 2003 New England Patriots. But first, this episode is being brought to you by Boxo Crafts. Boxo is an arts and crafts-focused kid subscription box. Boxo is a parent-run company that combines creativity and convenience in one monthly package, delivered right to your door. Boxo's premier box, Boxo Holidays, contains four separate art projects to get you and your family into the holiday spirit. Whether it's Halloween, Hanukkah, or Easter, they've got you covered with holiday fun. Boxo, we can't wait to see you create. Check out BoxoCrafts.com and exclusively to our listeners, enter promo code SNSW for 10% off your first order. That's B-O-X-O-Crafts.com, promo code SNSW. The SNSW Podcast is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcript of today's episode can be found in the description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. If you're new to the show, consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. And now, this is the SNSW Podcast. But it's all relative. Welcome, everyone, to the second edition of the New England Championship Rewrap. I'm here with Rayshon Buchanan, Joe Melkin, Mike Marcangelo, and, of course, greatest producer in the game, Craig D'Alessandro. I'm the real BK Bob Kelly. And it's that time again, ladies and gents. Once again, the Patriots are world champions. Welcome to Championship Rewrap, 2003 Patriots edition. How we doing, guys? Good. Excited for this one, man. I, it's, it's kind of fun to do this after we talked about the... Uh, the 2002 season, we talked about the 01 Super Bowl, and I don't think this one's going to be as exciting because it's not the first one, but this is going to be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've been waiting a long time to do this, and 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 there is there, there's a lot in this season. I mean, I think it's easy to just only talk about the first one, then talk about the the you know the latest ones, but like oh three. Again, just a lot like uh, the O2 season that we talked about. Like all, everything was built on these two seasons. This is this is great, man. And like I said, the, the stem off what talk what we talked about in O2, and just how you know how poorly that and how that poorly that season ended for us uh, to go into how the season went and who they picked up and just basically how it changed the culture and how we were perceived not just in, in New England but around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And if and if everyone wants to listen to that 2002 episode championship hangover it'll be in the show notes below so definitely check that out um because it's a good one it, it, Mike, mike's hosting it's a good episode it's good stuff you know i, I was gonna kind of direct it towards mike but because mike kind of brought it up about how there was so much in the season but uh, of their six super bowls this was kind of one of their best in, in a lot of ways this was right? one of a their four, funnest for sure a four, right this a whole 14 season was and amazing. two yeah. yeah a 14 and two season i mean sure we had what what wasn't in 07 that we'll talk about down the line but I mean, I know, Mike, it, it it's cringeworthy, but th- this one was just, it had everything. I also think that like this year, uh, like this particular year, 2003 is when they uh, established their dominance. It, it wasn't 11 and five, right? It was, there was, there was a very clear cut. You knew going into that Super Bowl, who, like they were, I think, I don't, I don't remember if they were the favorite, but I think they were. I think it was, it was close to like seven to 10 point. They, they were, four, they, I mean, yeah. 14 and two and I, they, they were a machine that just kept on, on rolling. So yeah, let's probably get us into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it all starts right after that 2002 season with the off season. Um, this is one of the biggest off seasons that kind of catapulted this entire dynasty. If, if, if I'm being honest, this off season, not only did they sign Rodney Harrison, who, who quarterback that defense, all the way up until their undefeated season in, well, almost undefeated season. Um, but so they also drafted Asante Samuel, who also went into that secondary and made that secondary one of the best secondaries in the league. That 2003 offseason, I know there was a lot of questions when it came to Bill. There was a lot of questions to the moves he was making and how that 2 season ended. Going into the 3 season, you guys, you guys think that we were going to be that Super Bowl contender that we were in one no, I I don't think like I think after the, you go nine and seven and 02, right? Like you're kind of just thinking about things like maybe oh one was a fluke, but you know they have they had a good foundational offense, right? Dion Branch, David Gibbons, and Daniel Graham were all drafted the year before, mm-hmm. so like they have weapons there that you think okay maybe you know Brady can you know he can and you saw at the end of two thousand two, Branch was his favorite, and then you always had Troy Brown, you still have Christian Fourier. Um, but I think for me, like when you saw Rodney Harrison, because we all remember when Rodney hit uh, Jerry Rice and it was like, man, like maybe that was a dirty hit, but who wouldn't want him on your defense? And when they signed him, I was like, this, this is going to be a game changer for me. And, that, and that's one of the guys you want, right? They bring Rodney Harrison in from San Diego. And I, I brought up the, the – honestly, there are so many Easter eggs in this season for the New England Patriots. Looking back on, I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, but let's let's seriously talk about this draft for a second because at, at the end of the season, they really had a lot of the same guys on that defense, and it ended up being a really good defense. Uh, they had four all-pro players, three pro bowlers. But in that draft prior to the 3 season, Ty Warren – Eugene Wilson, Bethel Johnson, Dan Klecko, who ended up being kind of like kind of a, a role player, Asante Samuel, 
Dan Copen, who is probably one of the best offensive linemen that's ever played in New England. Here's a fun one for you guys. Sixth round, 201st overall, two picks behind where Tom Brady was taken in 2000. They they picked Cliff Kingsbury, the current head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I, I just I love this pick all the way around. Um, and then they picked Tully Banta Kane in the, in the, as one of the other notable guys. Um, you know, all those guys that I just mentioned, minus Cliff Kingsbury, made the, the, the final roster going into the season. And it, it, it really, like this roster was fun. We looked at 02, and it was exciting to see not a whole heck of a lot had changed from 01, except for the loss of Drew Bledsoe, the loss of Terry Glenn. Um, but they, this was one of his best, this was one of Bill Belichick's best drafts. And it was one of his, because of the, the value he got for it, knowing who he is overall. Um, and, and it was, it, it was great to see going into the season that there was an actual attempt to turn around a nine and seven season after a hangover from a Super Bowl win. I mean, you guys sound super like happy. I, I definitely wasn't like when I, when I look <laughs> I wasn't. That's such a surprise to me, right? Rayshon was down about a Boston sports team. There's no way that happened. Always brings us back to earth. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to. I'll I'll tell you why I wasn't happy. In two years, we lose Drew Bledsoe. And then in his offseason, literally a week before the damn season, we lose Lloyd Malloy. So, and I get it. They're Parcells guys. So I guess he wanted to get rid of it. I understand that. But Lloyd Malloy, as we saw on America's Game, was beloved by his teammates. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse, but it leads into them getting just thrashed by well, Buffalo in week one. But like, we'll get into that. But it's just like, I, I couldn't, that's great that they drafted all those guys. Like I said, Asante Samuel became awesome. Ty Warren had a decent career here. Uh, Tully Benson came, was a decent role player. You know, Klecko, as you said, Copen, all those guys. But, you know, I wasn't thinking about those guys coming in. I was thinking, wow, we lose Malloy, we lose Blesso. Like, I was in the words of, you know, one of our favorite wrestlers, Mike Bill Goldberg, I was wondering who's next. Yeah. It, well, so, so just to touch on what Ray went on there about uh, mostly about lawyer Malloy, you know, it's interesting because we know who Bill is now. And I know we want to try and stay in this time capsule of the year that we're talking about, but lawyer Malloy was really that first guy that Bill released um, thinking that that he was pretty much done, and you can you can look at Terry Glenn and Drew Bledsoe and say similar things, but I think I think the Terry Glenn Drew Bledsoe moves those were more because he knew, and they ended up being later in their career Bill Parcells guys again. They were Bill Parcells dudes. That's that's that was who drafted them, and I, and I think that there is there was some of that animosity between the two bills. Uh, if you haven't watched that 30 for 30 yet, the two bills, is that a 30 for 30? Yeah, it is. But lawyer Malloy really was that first guy that he released before, like as he thought he was done. And yeah, Ray, I mean, bad move, right? Like we all thought at the time we're 14 year old, 15 year olds. We, we didn't know the difference. We just love lawyer Malloy because Holy crap. Could you imagine lawyer Malloy and Rodney Harrison back there? I mean, they would need to keep a couple ambulances on, 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 on standby at all times. So I think, I think that's the thing is like at this time, if we think back to what it was in 03 is Bill Belichick wasn't looked at as this mad evil genius. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah. okay, you got lucky. You caught fire with this Oh one team o2 sucked and now you're cutting our captain like that 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 was such a big move that it had people questioning who he was actually as an nfl coach going into that season 
Tom Jackson from ESPN, again, not a sponsor, said that that move, uh, that his players hated him and he lost the locker room. And Belichick never forgets that. And we can talk about like, what, what he actually says later in the season. But uh, if you think about that move and you think about uh, like when you do something like that, right, you need to have a good core around you, a good core of coaches. And I just want to let you guys know, like on that defensive coaching staff in 2003, stop me when you do not recognize a name. Defensive coordinator, Romeo Cornell, linebackers coach, Rob Ryan, Inside linebackers coach, Pepper Johnson, defensive backslash secondary coach, Eric Mangini, and the defensive assistant, Josh McDaniels. That's fact. It, it's funny that like Bill Belichick's coaching tree gets so much crap because over the years, when you look back at it, the amount of coaches that have come out of New England, that that not just head coaches, I'm talking defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, like they're sprinkled around the league like you wouldn't even believe. And I think this is just, it's its proof to this day, half of those guys are still in the NFL. It's crazy. Play, players are the same way, right? So it's kind of a lot of the times where he, he gets value for guys and then they go get paid. And then a, a majority of the time, those players don't pan out where they go. I mean, I think I think we can all agree that in the 03 season, Lawyer Malloy had a pretty good year in Buffalo. Uh, he, play, he played pretty well. I think he, he was there for a few years, but those first two years in Buffalo, uh, I remember him playing pretty well. So, but you look at the coaching tree, and I think part of the reason why they get they get so much. Um, and Brian Dable was a wide receivers coach on on that on that team. So, I, I mean, um, it, it just it, it's interesting to look at the tree, and and this is a whole different podcast and a whole different episode. But I I, I think a lot of well, I, I mean, think about it. it, it to, just to throw it out there, maybe create some controversy. Uh, controversy, hot take: the best coach to come out of the Bill Belichick tree never even coached with Bill Belichick. And that's Mike Vrabel. So, I mean, that's that's my opinion right now. But, um, you know, at, at, at this point in time, he, he was surrounding himself like he did with his players. He was surrounding himself with the guys that made sense in the positions that they were in. Uh, I mean, Pepper Johnson was around forever, right? Um, Eric Mangini, uh, he ended up burning his bridges. Uh, Josh McDaniels went from being a defensive assistant to the offensive coordinator and very likely the heir apparent head next head coach of the new England Patriots 17 years later. So, but, so I I just want to touch on the thing that ended up being a trend before we get into the season. Uh, how much value was found in this draft? I know we already talked about it, but not only were these guys picked, but Eugene Wilson, who I think, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated New England Patriots of all time. I loved Eugene Wilson. Uh, second round, Dan Klecko, fourth round. Asante Samuel, fourth round. Tully Banta Kane was picked in the seventh round. That's, that's the trend that you saw besides wide receivers that you saw from Bill for the entire Patriots tenure is, is just churning out value after value after value. And 2003 was no exception to that. Especially a guy like Tully Bantikin. I mean, he, he found value where most other teams wouldn't, and he still does that today. And we've seen that now he, he, he goes based off uh, their, their, their football IQ and their ability as a, a teammate and a, and a football player rather than who they are at that position. And that's why Tom Brady worked out the way he did after 2000. And we'll see it in this season. I mean, Tully Banta Kane is still, he's one of my favorite Patriots of all time, not one of the best Patriots of all time, but he's one of my favorites partly because of his name, but also because that guy was a grinder. Also, I, I don't know this, but I kind of know it. 
I, I feel like Al Davis hated the fact that we got Bethel Johnson because that man was fast. He couldn't, he couldn't catch anything, but man, he could run a, a, a what was it like a four, four forty? I mean, he was the fastest guy I'd, I'd ever seen on, in a Patriots uniform. Yeah. And, and I think, so if you look back to this 2003 team, we'll get into the season in just a minute here. When it comes to uh, that was wide receivers, this was before the wide receiver was, this was one of my favorite Patriot wide receiver cores of all time. Uh, Dion branch. I love Dion branch, but my all time favorite Patriots wide receiver is David Gibbons. That guy was a baller. I really like David Gibbons. You man. mean, you mean Troy Brown, right? No, I love David Gibbons. 87 Notre Dame alum. Come on, man. David Gibbons made plays and he, he made plays in those playoff games that we'll get to later that, that are forgotten to this day. David Gibbons was a big time receiver. I'm telling you, that's why he got big money in Tennessee. He didn't do anything there. But that's besides the point, Mike. Just to confirm your your Bethel Johnson point of a four three seven forty. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's 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 an Oakland Raider. Or sorry, Las Vegas Raider. But I mean, we can say it. It was back then. It's the Oakland. Yeah, it was Raiders. Oakland. Yeah. It was yeah. Oakland. Yeah. Uh, we're we're in two thousand three. We're not in twenty twenty. So let's stay in the time capsule and let's just call it like it is. Just to your point, Bobby. Do you look at Deion Branch, Troy Brown, David Gibbons, Bethel Johnson, and David Patton? That's your wide receiving core in 2003. Mm-hmm. That's good, man. That's and and they're all young. And and the best part about it is there wasn't a one. And and we'll get to that later, but that was the best part is like every game it was five catches a piece, 75 yards and three of them had touchdowns. You know what I mean? There wasn't like a number one wide receiver. No one wanted the ball. No one wanted this. And that was that mindset that those Patriots had. Amazing amazing how that actually worked at one point. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I, you just jumped in there. Right? It, was, it was like, this is when Brady threw to the open guy, and he didn't just pick a favorite and, and, and only focus on him. He had, like, these guys, I mean, besides Troy Browns, were no names, right? And, and right. he made all of them because they all just got on the field, ran their routes, and they were there. Okay, so that brings us right into the season here. We already talked about that Bills game a little bit. It was a disaster from beginning to end. I want to. I just want to tell you, like the, the Bills game. Yes, Lloyd Malloy. He sacks Brady once. Like it's thirty-one nothing. We we all know that. But this would be the last time that the Patriots would post a sub five hundred record for one hundred and forty-five games. It's wild. It's wild. The stats. The stats after these losses are are, are crazy, man. Um, obviously, everyone remembers. So they end up with the longest winning streak two games later as well. So not only that, but they end up with the longest winning streak in NFL history after this beginning of the season start so but as a fan what the hell is going on <laughs> what are you what are you doing what are you doing how are we down 31 and this is why and i've said this on the championship uh hangover this is why i was worried about buffalo and i, I said this to you joe i said this to you mike i was like yo like i thought that buffalo was going to end up running the division at some point because you know they ended up getting blessed so and then the next year they got malloy so like my my anxiety was like on Eric Molds, Eric, Eric Molds, Peerless Price. You know, that's yeah, good, man. Peerless Price, wow, Peerless man. Price. Like, you know, even though he did nothing in Atlanta, but that's, a whole, <laughs> but that's another pocket, right? Exactly, at all. Um, he was priceless. Sorry, I, I had to make that joke. Ooh. But, ooh, ow, wow. Oh, uh, fire him lately. <laughs> yeah, trying try to be, trying to get like you, man. But no, um, <laughs> it's, it's like, damn, like, it, it's, it, was, it was crazy to see how they just picked us apart. And, yeah. You know, you know, yeah, just it's just just limp, limp, just like piece by piece, and I was like, dog, like they can't be thirty one points, but this is not 
Jim Kelly. This is not Thurman Thomas. This is not Don Beebe. This, this is not Bruce Smith. Like, what is wrong, bro? Like, so that's what I was going to say was that they they were they were less than ten years removed. The Buffalo Bills were from a, a run where they went to four straight Super Bowls, two of which they lost to Bobby's Dallas Cowboys, but. This this was that point where this franchise was was established, and we're looking back on it now and saying this with a revisionist history, right? Twenty 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 vision, but um, yeah, right. But this this was it. This Redskins game was that turning point, and it, it's so funny to look back on these games and be like, "Wow, this is this is what really jump started that." Yeah, and and it's funny too because like after that week four game it felt like 2002 all over again. You know what I mean? They felt like a mediocre football team who was going to be nine and seven. Like they had been for years, except for that. Oh, one season. It felt like Pete Carroll. It felt like that entire thing all over again. It was like, okay, did any of that really matter? Is Brady really the answer? Is Belichick really the answer? Like what's going on here? Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but they were the fucking answer. Um, so we have the Titans game. So then, that Titans game is a preview of the AFC divisional game. That Titans team was very good. And this team beat them 38 to 30. Like they put up 38 points after being held to 17 by the Redskins. Something happened in between that week. And I, from what I heard watching that America's game is the practice that entire week was the most physical practice they had the entire time. I think Rodney Harrison said it. Vrabel said it and McGinnis said it that those were the toughest and most physical practices in their entire time in New England was that week. I mean, I think that I think that they identified uh, that week that like Steve McNair can't beat them, right? Eddie George can. So because if if you remember that game, like Steve McNair uh, passed for I think like three hundred and sixty yards. Yeah. Eddie George didn't rush for forty, and they gave him the ball fifteen times. So I think that practice was it. But like, if you look at that Titans team, and I know like like. McNair, Eddie George, Derek Mason. That that's a really good offense. And, and obviously it's like, not they, just Steve McNair, it's co MVP Steve McNair by the end of the yeah, season. Yeah, no, well, no, no. They shut yeah, him down, dude. Yeah, they, they really did. And I think that this game kind of was if you look at the scoring summary here, right? 38 to 30, and Brady threw one touchdown. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like they got all these points just lighting it up on the offensive scoreboard. And that really became the theme of the entire season. Uh, You look at the way this team won games and it wasn't something where they were just an offensive powerhouse. They were just a defensive powerhouse. They won certain games scoring 30 points. They won one game scoring nine points and two games scoring 12. One against the Quincy Carter led Cowboys, which is a nightmare. Uh, and the other against the Miami Dolphins in the snow. So it was like they didn't have a certain way they had to win games, which is why I think this team was so damn good. They they were sound, right? Yeah. They 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 figured it out. And and Bobby, I, I think you'll like this this comparison because it's really jumping back out at me. But they won a lot of their games and and really modeled their team around the early '90s Cowboys in a lot of ways. At this time, it, it really was that way. They didn't need a lot of yards. They they just had to grind and push. I mean, in this game against the Titans, I, I know we want to move on from this game, but this is really kind of 
a, a the the best example of how this offense worked back then. I mean, Ty Law had an interception for a touchdown. Brady throws for two nineteen and a touchdown, and then they get three rushing touchdowns: one from Antoine Smith and two from Mike Cloud. So, yes. I, I mean, one one week wonder Mike game. Cloud. One yeah. week wonder Mike Cloud. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Antoine a, Smith is a BC great, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Antoine Smith, 16 for 80 and a touchdown. So really this, this was it. This was how this team was going to win their games. And you're right, Bobby. There were some games they put up 30 and other games they didn't need to because that defense uh, knew how to play against every offense. And as Mike said, it started with Tennessee. You think about how actually, sorry, my bad. If, If you think about how actually good that secondary was, Asante Samuel, Ty Law, Rodney Harrison, Eugene Wilson. Uh, I loved Why? Eugene Wilson. Don't hate on you. I, Eugene Wilson was a very good safety. Sure, but he's not Rodney Harrison, Tyler, or Asante Samuel. But but nobody he, he didn't need to be right. But exactly. And, and Asante Samuel wasn't Asante Samuel after he left the New England Patriots either. So you I know mean, what he, he saw. You know what happened with uh, Lawyer is Bill saw. I know this for a fact because I talked to Bill. Bill saw how good Eugene was on the practice field, and he absolutely knew that at that moment he didn't need Lawyer Malloy. He didn't need his contract. He didn't need his presence because he knew he had Rodney Harrison to fill that now. So that secondary, man, that built what became that Patriots dynasty for the next few years. I think it's also important just to note, Ray, sorry for cutting you off, that uh, Bill asked Lawyer to take a pay cut, and he said no. He did say no, right. And that, and I so, don't blame him. And that's the precedent. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, he no, said, no, he, no, no, he shouldn't. He should have said no, uh, of course. <laughs> but imagine like if he like th- there was no Patriot way yet. Can you imagine like yeah. F. Will Jean, uh, Eugene Wilson, Lori Malloy, Rodney Harrison, Asante Samuel, Ty Law. Sorry, Ray. Ball game. No. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been ball game. Um, it's a slow. It's a slow defensive backfield though with, with Harrison and yeah, but it, back it, 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 didn't, it didn't matter at that time though because they were knocking your ass out so it, it didn't yeah that's true so, <laughs> there it is yeah, it, yeah it, it, you know so that that's that's just what it was but uh you know to still your slogan Bob like the we can do it moment uh for me it was actually the Miami game so that's the game that's really even mm-hmm. more so than the playoffs was really etched in my mind because Brady threw an absolute dime to Troy Brown to win that game and you know, by that time, Miami was already a house of horrors. Like, they got smacked 30 to 10, I think, the year they won the Super Bowl. Like, they had lost to Miami already. So, it was like, man, like, okay, they're going out to Miami. Like, can they actually win? And then it's like, it's a low-scoring game. So, like, man, like, and I think that that's the team that had, like, Jay Fiedler and, you know, Ricky Williams, who was a monster at the yeah, time. Yeah, he's really good, you know, though. Uh, you Jason know, Chris, Taylor. Chris, yeah, Jason Taylor, Chris Thomas. Yeah, not Chris Thomas. Uh, Chris Chambers. Sam uh, Madison. Yeah, Zach Thomas. Still there? Yeah. 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 yeah, Madison and Sertain. All those guys were there, you know. So they they were. It's funny because you know, if fans that listen to this that are young, Miami in the early two thousands, y'all. Even they after legit, Dan Marino, man. they were a really good team, and they were the ones that ran the AFC East. It wasn't us yet; it was Miami. So, um, and in Buffalo did too for a while, but it was Miami and Buffalo. Like we just kind of took over the rest of the two thousands. But we're just talking about 03. But yeah, that Miami game is when things changed around. I was like, man, like okay, we won down there in overtime. Um, you know, it was an ugly game. They found a way to win. And I was like, okay, maybe they have something here. And they just went on, they just went on the absolute um tear going forward. So 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 that game was big because I'm looking at this right now, and that game ended uh a 0 for 13 skid 
in Miami in September and October, and it was their first win in Miami in six straight visits there. Uh, so, so that's, I feel like that was something that Brady did need to get off his back. Uh, and the Patriots needed to get off their back that they knew that they could win down there. So yeah, I'm with you on that one for sure. Uh, that though, that game as well, Richard Seymour blocks the kick in, I don't know if it was overtime or the end of the game. Uh, it, it, it was Orlando Mari's end of the game kick, right? End so, of the game. Yeah. Orlando Mari. That's a name. That's he, a name. he was also a really good kick at the time too. He was. Yeah, he's yeah. Great. You know, one of the best in the league. This is a great line, too. I'm reading right here when Seymour blocked it. It was at Pro Player Stadium because back then, football and baseball teams used to share stadiums, everyone. I don't know. For all our young listeners out there, that used to be a thing. Yeah. But he goes, go Marlins, as he blocks the kick in Pro Player Stadium. After, I believe the Marlins have won the World Series this year, right? 2003? Yeah, so, so, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, that's great. And, and um, what... What's awesome is is that that stadium is still the stadium they play in now, and it's gone through fifteen name changes since. So. Yeah, what is Hard Rock, it right? Yeah, it, I mean, M T is it M T now? Hard Rock. No, no, I mean, I I lived there. It was it was Hard Rock, but it was it was awesome. You know, we get into a situation where Bill kind of creates his uh, evil genius scenario uh, in the Denver game when he talk when he does uh, you know you know the latest late in the game they they're up by one. You know, they take a safety to go up 26. I mean, to let Denver go up 26 to 23 with two minutes and 46 seconds left. You know, some of the players are like, man, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, they, they, they get the ball back. Brady Brady comes back, does what he's been doing. Well, does what he ends up doing really his whole career, but, you know, wasn't doing a whole lot then. But, uh, you know, he's a masterful comeback and wins. It's funny. That moment, I feel like, was the first moment where New England fans went, all right, fuck it. And Bill, we trust. Like, what? What? Did, I can't believe he just did that. Like, no one, no one in their right mind would ever give up a safety on purpose just to get better field position. And then, and then not only does it work, but it literally wins them the game. One of the wildest plays in Patriots history. It's, do you remember how much controversy there was about it? That people were like, was it on purpose? Was oh, yeah. it not on purpose? Like no one knew. And then Bill was just like, yeah, it was on purpose. Like, what do you, what do you think we're doing here? Bill position. Like right. they, they, they pin them back on the next drive. They force them to punt. Brady throws uh, that, that, that touchdown to Givens. And then Asante Samuel picks the guy off at the, at the end of the game. I mean, it, it's literally like, that's how he wrote it. But it's baffling to me that Belichick would write it that way. Like, there's not one other coach in the league at that time that would say, "Yeah, let's let's just take the safety and put him back." Because that's, I mean, and he did it, and it worked. Yeah. Situational football, right? And, and situ, uh, situational correctness. Uh, that, that's why. It, it, but that's the confidence he had in his teams, and how you knew it was on purpose at the time. I actually remember this exact moment. It was a Monday Denver. night game, wasn't it? It was a yeah. Monday night game, yeah. and I remember Ken Walter standing there, and he didn't even put his hands up. Yeah, he just stood there like a statue and let the ball go over his head. And I remember who was the long snapper? Was it Lonnie Givens uh, at the time? Or Lonnie Paxton. Lonnie Paxton. Lonnie Paxton. Lonnie yeah, Paxton. that's exactly who it was. Yeah. And Lonnie Paxton, th- this was the greatest snap of all time. He snapped it right off the upright. Like, yeah. it, of course, it, it had been practiced, it had been scripted, and they were just waiting for a moment to use it. And you're absolutely right, Mike. And Belichick still does this to this day. I mean, we're in 2020. We, we just finished week eight of the NFL season. And 
it was the same thing against the Bills last week. While they lost, it was everything was just written up the way yeah. they expected to do it, and they just didn't finish the execution. And this is how they did it in 2003 and, and, and beyond. And it, it was amazing to watch at the time. And it, it and that's what's great about Belichick is that he takes these calculated risks. I'm talking in a 2003 vacuum. He took these calculated risks that just worked, and they they made sense but maybe not necessarily at the time. I feel like they work less now than they did then. If I'm being honest now, now, now I feel like he's gotten to the point where he actually is that evil scientist where he does things. And you're like, what is what? Why? Yeah. When you don't have the, when you don't have the same talent that you did, then you can, you can make those, type, you know, but you can make those type of decisions. Like you say, when you trust the defense, you can trust Vrabel. You can trust Richard Seymour. You can trust, uh, Ted, Ted Washington, you could, you can tell, you could trust, uh, you know, Asante Samuel. So there were so many guys on that team that one had been there and they really were just dogs on defense. Like some of the dogs that he had recently are on other teams or they chose to opt out. So it's a, it's a little different right now. So, sure. um, all right, my bad, my bad you know, for bringing it up right now. I yeah, no, it's it's, 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 it's it's cool, it's cool. You know, we're both in the same boat. You know, your team sucks, my team sucks. It's okay, but it's it's just like, uh, but like I said, at that time, it was just so easy, or not so easy, but it was easier. I feel like to make those decisions, knowing that okay, I got these dogs behind me, and mm-hmm. if we, if you, we're not, you're not going to get past the fifty on this defense if we if we drop the right plays to close out this game, and they did that on many cases, not just that year, but going forward. Also, uh, Bobby, do you remember that the game right after this, uh, after this <laughs> momentous occasion, it was it was the seven and two Cowboys, Bill Parcells Cowboys. Yeah, I do. Seven and two Patriots. You know, uh, Parcells is a great coach. Quincy Carter is not a great quarterback, but they were they, such, they were they, they were great. Twelve nothing. Do you I was know? At, I was at this game. I was at this you game. Know that the Cowboys gained two hundred. Nice? 291 yards that game. Do you know why they won that, lost that game? Because Jason Witten threw a shovel pass to a Patriots defender. He literally threw a pass to him. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was it was a pass over the middle. I was watching it. He caught the ball and just like, here you go. It's, yeah. <laughs> here it is. Here you go. Uh, but yeah, that, that next game, I think, showed that they were, because the Cowboys were actually good that year. And so were... So were the Titans. So were all these teams that they were beating and they weren't just beating them, but they were beating them in a way that you're like, Oh man, like this team is something. And they just kept doing it too. Like a bad Texans team. They have to go to overtime, but they still win. And then this is my choice for, for the moment, at least in the regular season, that Colts game was just unbelievable with that goal line stand. Uh, I I mean, not only was this the start of our domination of Peyton and getting in his head, but that was the most amazing goal line stand I've seen. And still to this day, one of the best goal line stands I've seen. So let me tell you how I caught a cramp because I was literally, I was standing up, like trying to like act like I'm on defense with William McGinnis when that play happened. And I, I like jumped off the couch and I'm like, Oh you know, sugar, honey, iced tea. Like my legs are cramping. <laughs> my leg, my legs are cramping up because I was just so, I, I was so into that play because I couldn't stand Peyton Manning. And, and actually, let, I, I want to get on it because I was waiting for you to talk about this game. 
Tony Tony Dungeon and Peyton Manning. Screw 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 y'all. Screw y'all. Hey, oh, hey, hey I, I said what I said. Screw screw them. Okay. Um, Tony Dungeon. By the way, you have great books. But screw screw you as a coach. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he he only came up with one of the best defenses of all time, the Tampa Two. But it's fine. Right, right. You know, it's, it's fine. But you know, they, they still didn't win. Sorry. Um, hey, Sean King, how you doing, man? But uh. Um, <laughs> Sean King reference. Damn. Okay. Damn, I know. We're really so, bringing it back to 2003. We're really bringing it back. Right, I like right, it. I like Let's go it. back to the vault. Let's, you know, <laughs> we brought up Sean Cannon. Why can't we bring up Sean King? But no, um, that that game, and then like I said, you know, William McGinnis Falls. Listen, if that was if that was Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, um, I don't I don't know who else was on the team at that time. Like, if that was the same thing, and you guys were, it was the other way around. You would just hold them guys to fall too. You know why? Because it's called gamesmanship. You're being a competitor. You're trying to win the game, and it's it's not cheating. Is it is it is it lousy? Okay, I guess. But either way, we won. And guess what? At that time, and fans that are under twenty or maybe that's twenty five, and you love Peyton Manning, you didn't you didn't think that you know New England ever beat him because you saw what happened in twenty thirteen, you saw what happened in twenty fifteen. I am telling you, we owned Peyton Manning for the first eight or nine years of his career. That is not that is not an opinion. That is an F A C T. That is a fact, not opinion. We owned him. So I'm telling you. So yes, Joe, we owned Peyton Manning. We owned eighteen. Okay, so number twelve was that guy. We <laughs> and we owned Peyton Manning. He couldn't do anything in RC. He couldn't do anything in RCA Dome. He couldn't do nothing in Lucas Oil Stadium. He couldn't do anything at Gillette. He couldn't do anything at the Pro Bowl. He couldn't do nothing when it came to against New England guys. We ran Peyton Manning. That's a fact, not opinion. I'm one of the. I'm one of the best. Uh, one of one of the best. I was thinking a Peyton Truther. A Peyton. A Peyton Truther. I'm one of the. I'm one of the biggest. I'm one of the biggest Peyton fans you're gonna meet, especially in New England. I mean, I I I think Peyton Manning is, uh, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. I know. I you know what Tom Brady might be proving me wrong this year. Pure quarterback. Um, but Pure yeah, sure. Well, but I mean, we've asked the question before, right? And I've asked this to you guys before. If you were, if you were uh, hiring an offensive coordinator and you had to choose between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, who are you picking? Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Of the time. Because because he's a coach. Tom Brady is a player. Peyton Manning was one of those guys in the early two thousands. He was really calling his own offense. Mm-hmm. So he was he was doing what he felt he he needed to do. And unfortunately, uh, Bill Belichick had much more defensive experience, and that's part of the reason why uh, they did own Peyton Manning. And, you know, we'll get to the point in this uh, where, where he, he didn't. And we talked about it on, on the last episode um, of, of the, the podcast about Peyton Manning finally overcoming uh, Tom Brady in 2006. But in this game, this final drive by, by the, the, the Colts, it looked it looked like the Colts were just going to drive down the field and, and, and score. I mean, you had, um, and here are some, some names for you. I mean, Peyton Manning to Edron James, Peyton Manning to Reggie Wayne for 13 yards, uh, Dominic Rhodes, uh, uh, left tackle for nine yards, Edron James up the middle for three Peyton Manning, to Marvin Harrison for nine yards. They're inside the 10 yard line. They get the, the, they get down to the two it's first and goal on the two. And it's like, this is it. You knew they were, I knew they were getting in. I remember. And then, and then, what do they do? They they hand the ball off to Edron James. Maybe this is why uh, Seattle didn't give the ball to Marshawn Lynch. Uh, but they give the ball to Edron James uh, twice, and then Peyton Manning throws an incomplete incomplete pass to Aaron Moorhead. 
uh, after calling their third timeout, and then they give it to Edwin James again. And then this is the one where Rayshon was up on his feet down in a two point stance, like William McGinnis, because William McGinnis came through there like a bat out of hell and shut down Edron James. And you're uh, Bobby, you're absolutely right. Th- this was the point of the season where it was like, man, they're going to do this. Oh, right. Exactly. And, and this was the moment that you knew that that defense was different too. You know what I mean? To be able to make that goal line stop literally two yard line, four chances to get in the end zone and they could not do it. Uh, so a story coming in, this was on uh, the America's game. Apparently, Willie McGinnis coming into this week was just an absolute savage in practice every single day leading into this game. He was at the facility six in the morning every single day. Rodney Harrison walks up to him on Sunday. It's like, bro, you're about to have a game. And, and damn, was he right? Because that release off that line was maybe one of the fastest I've ever Maybe not ever. I always do that. One of the fastest I've seen. Ever? Ever. So, but but, but this has already been brought up, but we have to bring it up again because it it plays into the rest of the regular season and it plays into the playoffs, especially when they take on Tennessee again and have to narrowly get by them. But one of the other things that not only along with talent, like Rayshon said, they had the talent back then on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense. Now they just try and piece it together a lot more with that IQ. But they had a they had a motivator. Like Bill, Bill for some reason could get through to those guys back in the early two thousands. I mean, I, I feel like football has changed so much since you know, 2004, 2005 until now, uh, which really isn't a a big span. But the guys you had playing for the Patriots in the early 2000s, I mean, you had Brian Cox, um, who was an absolute maniac in the locker room before the game. And the neck pad that he had. Oh, yeah. Best neck pad in the league. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and you had guys like Willie McGinnis, who uh, Mike Vrabel, you had these Richard Seymour, you had these guys that we say their names now, and we just know that Bill Belichick had a knack for firing these guys up. And, and those are the guys that are never going to say anything bad about Bill Belichick. You may not get that from the guys that have played for him in the last 10 years or so, uh, but things change and that's fine. I mean, uh, we, we got what we got out of the, out of the, the, the franchise in the last 20 years. And in this year of 03, you really just had Belichick getting into their ear and saying, Hey, we got to get this done because this is our goal. And, and he made those guys believe it. And this was just one of the biggest examples of Willie McGinnis against the Colts, where it, it really was the catalyst of bills. Bills got these guys and, and it's, there's no stop in this train. I, I think that this is the last game that in, in probably the next couple of years that the Patriots could play underdogs. Right, because Peyton Manning and that offense and the Colt, like you, that, they were they were the team, the offense of the AFC, and Belichick doesn't have many opportunities left uh, in his arsenal to 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 ramp his team up and say like, listen, they're counting you out. Nobody thinks you can beat them. If they get within like the twenty, the ten, or the five, they're going to score on you. And McGinnis said, not that's just not going to happen today. And this game, this game just catapulted them to the next stratosphere. Yeah, and to go back to this line, I completely agree with that. That this was this was the point, and and it made, like I said, made that defense just they they were so special, man. They just did things that that no defense that we had seen in New England had done before. And and 
what made them so special and why they were so perfect for Bill, I believe, is that they were just football minds. You look back at who was on this defense, Roman Pfeiffer, all-time veteran. You know, Willie McGinnis. We have Mike Vrabel, Richard Seymour, like Ted Washington. These guys were just ball players, and they had that football mind, and they were the epitome of that Patriot way. Um, but so after this game, it launches them, and they finish 14-2. and two. Um, this, this team was the favorite going into the playoffs, but to me, I mean, looking back at this season, they didn't have the most impressive 14-2 season I've ever seen. And, like, did you guys going into it actually think that they were the favorites and that this was going to happen going into these playoffs? I, I have to be honest. Like, even though they went 14-2, and I, I said I think I said, I said this about how I felt about Tennessee in, in the previous show, I was beyond nervous to face Tennessee in the playoffs. Like, it's one thing what you did in the regular season, but I also remember the year before when we needed to beat them <laughs> to, to make sure that we got to the playoffs, and they gave it to us, and they beat us 24-7. to um, So I was like, man, like, if, that, if they are motivated again, even though they was coming into uh, New England, it was like, uh, I'm not so sure that we could beat them. Now, if we had faced somebody else, I'd be like, league. cool. Right, ex- ex- exactly. But, you know, which <laughs> huh, missed those, right? But uh, <laughs> no, but, you know, but yeah, that, that's that's the thing, though. It was crazy. I, I thought I thought Tennessee was actually going to beat us at the time. I did. Here's what I'll say. Like, like, I didn't know if the Patriots could score 30 points, but I knew that the, that the defense wouldn't allow 30 points. So, like, if, if that makes sense, Bobby, like, I don't, I, I didn't, like, if they got into a gunfight, I don't know if they're going to win, but I, I I think like all things being equal, that was the best defense that I've ever seen the Patriots have. And I was just by that time, by that Titans team, regardless of whether it was Aaron McNair and he was co-MVP, I, I did not think he could come up here and put up 400 yards, four touchdowns and 40 points. And, and, and we were kind of right. Right. And, and so to go back to what Joe said way earlier. So you guys compare, I, I did this on the, the show the other night, get out of here, which you can find on our, on our podcast page. It'll be in the show notes. Um, Tom Brady had a very Troy Aikman like season this year. All right. He wasn't, I can't believe I'm about to say this. He wasn't that impressive. You know what I mean? He, he had 23 touchdowns, 12 picks. Uh, he had 60.2 completion percentage. But I, he had 3,620 yards. Yep. And it's not like this team actually had that star running back. We had Antoine Smith, who got, what, 689 yards that year? Something like that? Wait, t- time out, Bobby. Time out. I, I thought 23 touchdowns was impressive, though. How, how, how I mean, can you we? You walked right into that, dude. I did. Yeah, I did it on purpose. Yeah. Oh, you did it? Yeah. Because I'm just like, wait a minute. I thought 23 touchdowns was, was fine. Now, it was different if he had 23 touchdowns and 20 picks. I'd be like, you know what? That, that's a trade like season. But 23 and 12, that's not bad. That's still almost two to one. But so that just shows how good that defense was, though, because they didn't have that offense. They didn't have Emmett Smith in the backfield to back up only 23 touchdowns from the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like that's how good that defense was. Well, sure, and and they had an offensive line that had been built around Drew Bledsoe, so they you knew that Brady was going to stay upright, right? Mm-hmm. You had Antoine Smith, who was I mean, he was an above average running back in the NFL. He got he got the job done. He was if he wasn't over the hill in two thousand one and two thousand three, 
he was absolutely over the hill. He was not. He was not that good in two thousand three. No, he he wasn't. But he got the job done, and and that's and that's fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the defense that they had, they had the the four top receivers who really, like, as you said earlier, there was no number one. Um, and they, they just, they made it work and all the pieces clicked, everything went together. Uh, it was like a jigsaw puzzle. It really was. And just put everything together to make it work. So that brings us right into the playoffs against the Titans to set up how big this game was. Just in case everyone doesn't remember this Titans team was maybe the best team in the NFL. This team was really, really good. And this game, I don't know. I was there. Uh, It's a pretty cool story. I I was sleeping. My neighbor came over, knocked on my door, was like, hey, you want to go to the Patriots playoff game today? It's like, "Uh, absolutely. It's only going to be negative 10 degrees outside. Coldest game in Foxborough history. Were you there too? Nice. So So you saw it then. This game was so cold. Guys, I'll never forget it, that there were people getting beers, people getting hot chocolates, and they were bringing it back to their seats, and by the time they got back to their seat, the thing was fucking frozen. Frozen solid. This was the coldest game. This was the coldest I'd ever been in my entire life. I was walking around like a goddamn... Like uh, in, in the Christmas story, you you wore every layer you <laughs> every had in layer. your closet, oh and it was God, amazing man. because, of course, I'm sitting there looking at these guys down on the field, and there's offensive linemen with short sleeves on. Unreal. It's four degree, and I mean, it was fine because they're, they're running around, they're 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 getting sweaty even in four. De- it was four degrees with a a sixteen degree wind chill. Yeah, uh, or negative six negative sixteen. Yep. Which, which is absolutely amazing, and it, and it was one of the coldest games. And the Titans-Patriots in Foxborough has given us some of the wildest weather uh, in in yep. the history of of this. Uh, the some, some, of the wild, some of the wildest scores, too. The 56, yeah, some of the wildest, what was it, 56, 56 50, to 10? 57? 50, no, 59 nothing. 59 59 nothing. nothing. There we go. Wow. And in 07. And so, I mean, yeah, but but going into this game, you couldn't count them out. Of course, uh, as Patriots fans, we're thinking, well, you know, it's Tennessee coming up here, but it can get pretty damn cold in Nashville, too. They get some pretty nasty uh, ice storms down there, too. But it doesn't get this cold. Um, but, you know. I always, I always found that kind of funny in a rivalry where they're like, "Well, Miami doesn't have to play in this weather all the time," and it's like, "Yeah, but these guys have have played elsewhere than than just Miami." So, but I mean, it, this was cold. I mean, and sixty eight thousand people uh, in in the stadium, and it not only not only was it cold, this was a night game yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of my favorite memories of all sports. Honestly, this game because it was my favorite game. It was probably my top three games I've ever been to. The The feeling, and I was right behind, so we'll get to how it ends, but I was right behind the goalpost where Vinatieri ends up kicking probably the most difficult kick in NFL history. All right? Um, yeah, well, 42 it, it, in the snow against the Raiders? 40, 46 in negative 13-degree weather? That thing was like kicking a goddamn stone. You know how... You ever kicked the ask stone? Him, ask him what kick he's, it, he says it. I forget where he said it, but I saw an interview where this is the kick he's most proud of is this kick. I swear on my life. You can look it up. Hey, I'll look it up right now. Well, most proud of most proud of and being the most difficult doesn't that that's not necessarily a correlate, but I, under, I understand. I don't want to disparage your point. I understand your point. It, it, it's, it was, 
a kick that not only sent them to the AFC championship that year, but it was in cold weather at home against a team you struggled against, but, but shut down defensively uh, in the regular season. And I mean, Venetary, he was nails. This was the point of his career where he was just nails. If you remember, if you remember like the entire, like all pregame for the, for this particular game, like it was like, it's cold. This is going to be a low offense game. It's going to be, you just have to run the ball. First score in the game was a 40 yard touchdown pass from Brady to Bethel Johnson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Coming out firing, man. That's, that's what, that's what Bill and Brady did right at, at that point in time. They're like, Oh, everyone thinks we're going to run. It'll just air it out. Just go out there and sling it. It's so funny because Bill would tell his guys, even even back then, you know, don't don't read the papers, don't listen to the to the to the news, don't listen to sports radio. But what did he do? He read the papers, he listened to the radio, he he did all those things. And then when people like Mike just said, when people would say, Oh, it's cold, it, it's gonna be tough to do this, it's gonna be tough to do that, Bill would do exactly what they were saying was too tough to do to send a message of like, I I'm going to do what my football team needs to do regardless of the conditions in mm-hmm. order to win the football game. Yep. And, and that, and that showed, and that was also because he had faith in every single player on that active roster. You have a 53 man active roster. You have a 46 game, uh, 46 man game day roster. And he trusted every single man on that roster, every single Sunday to come out and do the job, win or lose. Do your job. It ended up being the the saying of this team for years to come. Uh, and out of Vinatieri, I, I know he gets a lot of credit, but I don't know if he gets a, enough credit for this entire playoff run uh, because not, not only did he win this game, but he also single-handedly won the next game. Besides the defense, he ended up putting he five for five in field goals against the Colts in the AFC Championship game. Yeah, I mean, come on. In in another cold game in in Foxborough, I mean thirty two degrees, right? But and it's a it's an afternoon game. Um, there was some snow. This game this game was gross. This is when Peyton crumbled and threw four and and just this is the Manning face. Remember this? I mean, yeah. just like he's just doing one of these on the sidelines because you guys can't see this at home. But Ty Law picks him off three times. Rodney Harrison once. I mean, this was the co-MVP, and he came up here. This is also – this game led to the rule changes in the NFL. Yeah, I remember that. Defense. The five-yard rule ch- – the five-yard uh, contact rule. Because they were just hammering uh, Wayne, Harrison, and Dallas Clark right off the line. They didn't have a shot at it. And- right, so Paul, so Tackleboy got emotional and was yep. like, you know, we want it to be an offensive game and we want the game to flow and be smooth and not nasty and grimy like it is up in Foxborough. So in order to cater to the Manning boy, you know, we're going to make sure that, you know, his guys can get a free release so that he could score, he could throw 49 touchdowns the next year in 04. But 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 changing changing the subject a little bit to what we could go on with with an entire different podcast. I mean, isn't that necessarily not necessarily a bad thing? I mean, for Tagliabue to do that, I I, I agree with your sentiment and the, what what you said wholeheartedly. But playing devil's advocate of you know his his golden boys in the league when they wanted to uh, you know uh, again another whole podcast, but something that Major League Baseball has a terrible job of of doing is finding uh, recognizing. And finding and executing who the golden boy is in the NFL. Um, but, but that was, that was what he recognizes that, Hey, you know, we have to 
alter these rules to fit what we want in the league. And yeah, it sucks. It's always sucked because um, Mike has said it on many occasions that the Patriots actions throughout the years on and off the field has really shaped the way the NFL rule book has has um, evolved over the years. And that's okay because there was a long period of time where the NFL rule book really got stale uh, in the, in the seventies and eighties and, and it didn't change much. So getting into the nineties and two thousands and having this happen was fine. The nice thing was, is it didn't change until after this game and our, and the defensive backs on this team, one of the best uh, defensive back uh, defensive backfields in new England Patriots history shut down two of the best wide two of the best wide receivers and one of the best tight ends of the time uh, basically shut that down in their tracks. And you're at, and and this was another example, Bobby of the Patriots winning a game through all three phases of the football game, where something that they haven't been able to do lately of, Oh wait, the offense isn't working. Okay. Let's, let's lean on the defense a little more and tell the special teams uh, that, that they have to, they they might have to be the ones that go out and score the points. And, and the Patriots were great at doing this. And they did this in the, in Super Bowl 36, they didn't need to score a touchdown at the end of the game against the Rams to win. They just needed to get into a position to put Adam Venateri or whoever the kicker may have been, it just happened to be Venateri into a position where he can win that ball game, and that's that's what they did for these at least these first three Super Bowls. Yeah, and, and that's that's the biggest thing from that Colts game that I remember is that listen, the Patriots didn't play great that game. You know what I mean? Like on one that, side of the ball, on one side, right? Uh, on offense, they 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 were they were piss poor. Actually, I mean, you look at Brady's numbers that day. 22 of 37, 237 yards, a touchdown and a pick. All right. So it definitely wasn't Brady that won them this game. It was Adam Vinatieri in that defense. And that's, that was the trend well, of that. It was season. a defense. I mean, I, I, I love Vinatieri just like you do, dude. But if, if five, Ty Law, five. Yeah. But if Ty Law doesn't pick uh, Manning off three times and Ronnie Harrison doesn't pick him off once, those are, t- those are conceivably touchdowns. That's 28 points. It doesn't matter if Vinatieri kicks uh, five field goals for 15 points. Well, and that's and that's where the offense slacked off, right? So yeah. then, then we have to talk about how the defense had to pick up the slack from the offense, and and the special teams had to become the the scoring point of the, this Patriots team. So it's fine. To, I mean, five for five, yeah. I, I mean, it's a great feat uh, because against the the Browns in the regular season, a game that finished nine three in favor of the Patriots, mm-hmm. uh, Venatari actually missed a kick in pretty good weather. He went three for four that day. So for him to um, up his game and go five for five and be perfect on the day, what a! I, w- I, w- I want to point out that I think this that this game and any other game that they ever played against Peyton Manning were the only times after 2001 when when the entire country was actually rooting for the Patriots. Because at, by this point, uh, the whole Belichick thing had and 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 the winning all year. They America loves an underdog. Right. The Patriots were no longer the underdog until Peyton Manning was in the picture, and they everyone hated to see the fact that to your point, show that that the NFL was catering and changing the rules. And making sure that people or that that uh, that Peyton would always get there. I don't care about rule changes. I care oh. about the why, right? Yeah. And the why was to get Peyton a ring. Everyone knew it. That is why. That is and why. It was why. It. No, that was that was that that was the take. Then a hundred percent. And me, and it still didn't happen right away because like the next year he does great. They lose. 
does great the next year, <laughs> has a great game against Tampa Bay when they come back on one of the largest Monday night football comebacks, they lose. So, you know, it didn't happen right away, but, you know. but no, no, it, but you know, what's great is you, Bobby mentioned what Tom Brady's numbers were in this game against the Colts. You realize that three years later, Peyton Manning won a Super Bowl MVP with almost identical numbers to that. Yeah. So I, I mean, what it's, it, it, that's, it comes down to the, the, what the, game at hand is for 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 that game whether it's regular season playoffs super bowl uh whatever it is and no brady didn't have a good day uh the defense played incredible bill belichick figured out how to stop peyton manning and then he asked his kicker on five occasions to figure it out and put some points on the board uh to to win this game and that's exactly what they did bob i have to ask you i have to ask you a question you're the host right but you as the host you don't don't get to get asked questions a lot after this game, mm-hmm. did you know that th- that they were going to win the Super Bowl? Yes, because Peyton was their obstacle. You know yeah. what I mean? Getting yeah. through that AFC, Peyton was the guy you had to beat because I don't know if everyone remembers how good that Colts team was coming into that game. They had Re- Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. That, like That is the best wide receiver core that Peyton ever had. You know what I mean? Like that, Those two guys on the same offense and the fact that we were able to shut them down that was it. You know what well, I mean? You knew that was it. And especially because of who I don't want to say I was cocky at the time, but of who they were going to end up going against. Well, and, and just r- real quick on the whole Peyton thing and the, the, the NFL wanting to get him a Super Bowl. I mean, he was the golden boy, right? Like he, ca- he comes out of the draft in 1998. Uh, it comes out of Tennessee, the number one pick, they go three and 13 his first season, uh, which is fine. It is what it is. Um, and then from that point on, they drafted around him. They built a team. Uh, he was basically calling the shots on that offense. He was calling the pitches, right? So he he goes out and, and creates one of the best regular season teams of the era. And 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 they didn't write paper champions, right? And 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 people love the Bobby, you just said it. People love the Patriots because they went 14 and two in the face of adversity, coming off a nine and seven season. That two years ago they had they had offed John Gruden's Raiders, they had beaten Bill Cowers Steelers, then they go out and beat Mike Mart's Rams, and it's like well, these guys don't care. They're going rogue. Let's follow this team. And then they love to see him beat the Colts. The league hated to see him beat the Golden Boy because Tom Brady wasn't the Golden Boy. It was Peyton Manning. Nobody yeah. cared about Tom Brady at this point. They still didn't give a shit about who he was. And and that was great for the Patriots. That and was then, awesome for the Patriots. And then, Ray, what did the Patriots do to the Colts? They, they beat their ass. That's right. That's right. And they were going to the All Super game. Bowl. No, I have, I have one last question about all this is this the last time that the america rooted for the patriots no no is this no. the last time yes no yes. No. no it is no, right not no way yeah. well, no, no no it's it's the last time up until i would say like recent eras but i i think like between like 01 03 04 this was it because i don't think in in my estimate well until next year against the colts I, I, if you take peyton manning out of the equation this was the last time because the, the only time that the Patriots were underdogs in the early 2000s was it were against Peyton Manning. And especially after this year, again, I don't want to like go into next year. When, when you have a league that changes the rules, literally just to make sure that their one guy and their one team can advance to the round that he could never advance to, and he still can't do it, America likes to root against that person. 
and they did. And the per and the team playing against Peyton Manning when it always mattered was us, and he could never beat us. Yeah. Uh, but but this goes to Mike's point of of you know that they really only rooted for the Patriots against Peyton Manning. I think 04 was really the last point where they they did because I think after 04 the the, the Patriots as an organization got a little cocky uh, and then they, they go the into villains. 07 they, they became the, the villains, villains because now yeah. they had three Super Bowls in it's, four it's years. Call what but it I, is, dude. Like we, they became the Yankees. We yeah, became sure. Yankee fans. And and I and and I'm I'm okay with that. I I really I've come to accept that over the last 20 years. But I think 04 was really the last time America rooted for the Patriots because they went up against a, an Eagles team that just kept trying to get there and they they finally did and then they lost and everybody hated the eagles but it was andy reed it was andy reed and and uh, donovan mcnab but again we'll get to that when we get to it but we're, let's get back to this one rooted for the patriots against the colts because they wanted to see peyton lose uh it was kind of new england super bowl before the super bowl and then they go in against this Carolina Panthers team, which I'll, I'll let you get into it. And I, I don't think there was as much excitement around this, um, but there certainly wasn't Foxborough. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, now I remember this Carolina team. I don't know if you guys remember, but the year before they were atrocious. Uh, they were one in 15. Was that, it was the year before they were one in 15, right? Yeah. No, no, it was 2001, 2001. Right. Right. Because we beat them to make them one in 15. Okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. that now. But so they bring in no-name quarterback Jake DeLome, this guy, and their two dynamic running backs at the time. Throw some names here: Deshaun Foster and Stephen Davis. Davis. Stephen, those two guys brought them to the Super Bowl. Uh, Steve Smith on the outside, who will play a big factor in this Super Bowl, uh, was a dynamic play playmaker, maybe one of the top five wide receivers in the league at the time, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. Musa Muhammad, Ricky Prohl, um, Ricky Prohl, and Jermaine Wiggins was on yeah. this team. Yeah. Oh, he was. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I love Wiggy. Uh, but so this going into this game, uh, I think we were all very confident that they were going to win, and I don't think we expected to see maybe one of. The, I don't. I don't think we expected to see one of the best Super Bowls uh, that the Patriots. Well, they played in some great Super Bowls, but to me, this was my. I to this day I still watch this game randomly on YouTube late at night. I'll toss this game on because it was just such a fun game, man. And you didn't know it was gonna be based off the first quarter. And, worst and first quarter in, in Super Bowl history. Worst and, worst zero. first quarter. And, and the Patriots come in favored by seven in this game, and and we all loved it because Ed Hockley was the referee in this game. Um, was this was this before he was jacked out? No, this was right during he was the. Still, that, he was, he was okay. huge. Now he's always, he's always, he's always been Ed Hercules. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Now his son is a, an NFL uh, official, and he's just as good, but he's not as jacked. So we we, we don't give Steve as much credit as we did Ed. But um, yeah, the, this first quarter zero zero. It was really awful. It, it was just absolutely awful. Um, and, and I I remember watching the beginning of this game uh it was they were playing in houston uh because the texans had just started their franchise uh, two years before that they wanted to get a super mm -hmm. bowl down in houston they had to play the it final the four was closed. that year that too i think yeah they had to play it with the roof closed because the weather outside wasn't great um and and it just it was a weird feel around this game 
And um, and once the game started, I, I don't know how you guys felt, but it, it didn't feel as um, I didn't feel as confident uh, no. as, as I thought I, because it was like, who's Jake Del Homie? Like who who's this guy? Yep. And and Jake Delhomme uh, ended up showing the entire country who he was in this game. Yes, he did. It, it had started uh, right, I believe it was the first play of the second quarter, right? Where Delhomme hooked up with Steve Smith on just an absolute dime and from that moment you knew that this was going to be a game um my favorite moment going into the super bowl though is the fact not favorite moment best nickname of the super bowl rod smart he hated me he was on the panthers yeah yeah Yeah. but no but this this is the thing right i thought this was going to be a blowout yeah. yeah, I didn't think this was gonna yeah. be close. I was like, "Yo, like, because once again, even though you know, paying many, I couldn't stand him. Like, we knew that was the standard, and not just in the AFC, but the NFL. So I was like, "Yo, it don't matter who we face in the Super Bowl. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> like, if we should win by at least ten points." And you know, so we're going through this back and forth, and I'm like, "Are they really gonna lose to these boys? Like, are you gonna lose to Jake Delhomme? Are you gonna lose to Deshaun Foster and and Stephen Davis? Like, is that is that going to happen? Like." Is this really going to happen? Is Ricky Pro going to get his dynasty started tonight after <laughs> when yep. he talked about a couple of years ago? So I'm just like, whoa, like this, this is ridiculous. This, this was my favorite Super Bowl until there's another one that comes on. You know, um, you know, when you have so many, you can talk about it. But uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, that, that was, that, yeah, yeah, you know, hey, you, you're still one behind. Um, catch up. No, I'm just kidding. But no, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I know, I know, I know. It's just, I'm sorry. And you guys wonder why I troll you about the Patriots? We're See, on a no, championship rewrap. I haven't said anything. I haven't said anything. <laughs> I just no, want to say, they, like, listen, listen. They they definitely agree. So stop it. But anyways, um, no. But I, this this turned out to be a phenomenal game. But I, I didn't I didn't think it was going to be as close as it was. I definitely thought it was going to be a blowout. But um, that fourth quarter alone was better than most Super Bowl games. Yeah. that, that I've yeah. seen to be honest. Yeah. So First that. quarter, I was like, you know what? This is just going to be a dog fight. Like it should have been a blowout, but they don't have it. Second quarter, like, all right, here we go. All right. Yeah. This is now. Now we're getting into it. We we got the Brady the, to branch of five yards. We got the Steve Smith. Uh, you, you got the David Gibbons five yards. Like it's 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 going well. Third quarter was bad. At the end of the third quarter, I'm thinking maybe the best thing that I'm going to see in this game is uh, Janet Jackson's nipple. But then the fourth quarter went off the effing chain, dude. Yeah. I mean, they scored. Yes. They, I was just- <laughs> scored 37 points. 37. Sorry, I, points I got excited about Jenny Jackson. Sorry. Yeah, wait, wait, we can't just we can't just brush by that with like one. That's that's really what everyone thought though is that was going to be the moment of this Super Bowl. What everyone I mean, it was the moment for me. So was 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 the what did they say the wardrobe malfunction wardrobe malfunction know. when when Justin Timberlake literally just pulled that. Yeah, down. notice I, how I, he's hold hang it on right a second. Up. Notice how he never gets anything about the Super Bowl. Everybody's yeah. like, oh, Janet Janet Jackson's nipple wardrobe malfunction, and and everybody remembers Janet. Well, if but JTA. nobody says, hey, Justin Timberlake, why'd you pull I mean, the pasty I, off? Well, like, if, if he hey, had a wardrobe hey, malfunction, I promise you. If he had a wardrobe malfunction, I promised you that we'd be talking about it. So Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be, but I understand what you're saying. Like, yeah, I, I mean, was, he's I, a pretty attractive was, guy. Let's just be honest here. I mean. I just, like, <laughs> that, that third quarter was so bad. Was It really was. This so was a bad. two-quarter football game. It yes. really, all the scoring took place in the second and fourth quarter. Do you, that, do you, do you remember the fourth quarter? The 85-yard touchdown pass to Mushin Muhammad? Wait, yeah. hold, hold yeah. on, Mike. Oh, yeah. We, we could say the first score was what happened with Jenny Jack. That was the first score, but. Yeah. That's hey. So 
this fourth quarter, I believe, is the highest scoring quarter in Super Bowl history. Am I correct? It was a total of 30, yeah, right. 38 Seven. points. 37 points. 37 points in the fourth quarter alone. Yep. Uh, and and not only was it just electric offense with the 80, that Musa Muhammad touchdown, man, but that was it, something else. Yep. It was it was unbelievable. And, and and at that point in time, you're like, you know what? This could be it. Like, you know, we didn't really know. We didn't respect the Panthers in New England at this point in time. That play, I was like, maybe they're on to something here. And then the Patriots drive on the next drive, right? And Mike Vrabel catches the touchdown. And you're like, oh, well, here we go. Yeah, here we go again. Yeah. And, and it wasn't a clean catch. Like it, it, it was, he bobbled it he and then caught it. It was an athletic catch. And then uh, Ray's favorite boy, Ricky Prohl, uh, later in the fourth quarter, uh, another one. But then I think, I think what gets overlooked is what happened after this touchdown. What, uh, what is it? John Casey on, on the next kickoff kicks out of bounds. The Patriots start at the 40 yard line. Yeah. You give Tom Brady a, a minute and eight seconds left. From forty from at the forty yard line, you could not you, you could not keep keep the ball in bounds, and we all know what happens next. And and that was so just to go off of that, and that that was like two thousand one all over again, right? We we mm-hmm. as Patriots fans, mm-hmm. as kids, we had seen Tom Brady and J.R. Redman and Jermaine Wiggins and Troy Brown just run down the field all over the Rams, and we all remember the spike as Tom Brady put all of his faith on the foot of number four, Adam Venateri. And, and literally they're, they're about to do it again. And, and when you put the, when John Casey, who was really an above average NFL kicker, you're in the Super Bowl, and you can't just put the the ball. And I understand what they were doing because a lot of times, especially back then, it wasn't about putting the ball out of the back of the end zone because now they have, five yards more Mm -hmm. kickers legs are stronger but it was a lot about directional kicking and putting the ball into the corner and he just screwed the pooch and and that and that set up uh what what's about to happen next and what happened next so i think that john casey thing had a lot to do with what's about to happen next because casey knew casey knew who was waiting on that sidelines you know what I mean? It's not like this is the first time that Tom Brady had a chance with under two minutes left to win a goddamn Super Bowl. So I and think that was in his head going up to that tee, and he knew what was about to happen. And you know who else knew that that as well? Number 87, Musa Muhammad. Because they're on the sideline, they're talking, and you know, it's a very different language that, that, that was talking about in St. Louis. They was like, oh, this is a dynasty. We're going to become two, you know, two-time champions in three years. Musa Muhammad calmly knew he knew he was no longer in Michigan State. He knew he was no longer playing with Steve Birdline or Tim Tim Bianca Batuka. He wasn't playing with those guys anymore. He came, number 12 was on the other sideline. Superman was in the building. And he's like, you know what? We're about to go home. And Brady was going to become not the one time, but the two time champion. And that's exactly what happened. And and, and this drive mm-hmm. went literally, I, I'm just, I'm looking over it again. First, t- Tim Bayaka Batuka. I can't believe he just dropped that name. Bayaka Batuka. Uh, <laughs> as I'm wow. looking at this final drive. So they get the ball with a buck 13 left. Now, one of the big differences here is that they had more timeouts left than they did uh, in Super Bowl 36. Um, but Bobby, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but th- this no, drive. Go right ahead. You this go right drive. Ahead. Literally almost went the exact same yep. way it did. Exact in Super Bowl same. Yeah. It, it might have been, hey, 
here but, here's your play script, Tommy. This is what we're doing. So I mean, it's a 29-28 lead for for Carolina. The the Panthers out outscored the Patriots in the fourth quarter. I mean, they they really had for for being was tied. a game. It was 29-29. I'm sorry, 29-29. So, but the the they had outscored the Patriots even after the kick that wins this game. They had outscored the Patriots 19-18 in the fourth quarter. For a game that really was only 30 minutes and a nipple at halftime, it was the, the I couldn't get through it. Uh, so but <laughs> Brady Brady gets Brady gets the first down uh to the Carolina 47. Um and then this is this is where the game turns into that final drive in New Orleans two years prior. A 20-yard pass to Troy Brown, a 13-yard pass to Troy Brown. We saw that, right? Now, he doesn't have Jermaine Wiggins because he's on the other sideline hoping to get a Super Bowl with Carolina, so he goes to Daniel Graham for four yards. They call a timeout. Deion Branch, 17 yards. They call their final timeout. I'm I'm going to interrupt you here. I I think... What I, I, it, it, you might forget if, if you haven't watched it recently, I, I implore everyone listening to this to go back and watch it. The mm-hmm. first 13 out yard pass to Troy Brown was great. The next play, he's called for offensive pass interference. Yeah. And they push oh, him back. Right. And they push him back. And what does is, what is, uh, Brady do? He throws another 13 right back to yard him. pass to Troy Brown. Right back to him. It sets up another four yard pass. I think it was to, uh, to Daniel Graham, yep. on a th- which, which set up, which converted a third down. I mean, this was guts. And earlier in the show, I said, you know, if they get into a, like a shooting match, I don't know if they can win. This, this game proved it for me. This was what was great about Tom Brady at this point in his career is that he was, he just, it, it was all guts. He just went, like Mike just said, it was guts. He just went for it, uh, basically did what he was told, adjusted to what he needed to, uh, and and it worked. It worked for him. It worked for Belichick. It worked for the offense. And he always had this very positive tunnel vision. You, you always talk about tunnel vision being so negative, but Brady saw the light at the end of the tunnel. He saw what the goal was, and he put his team in the best opportunity to get there, knowing that he didn't have to be the guy. Just put your team in the best mm-hmm. position to make the plays. And that's exactly what he did. And those two passes to Troy Brown going right back to him. Thank goodness he didn't blackball him like he blackballed Ronald Jones last week. But he he didn't blackball a guy for a PI. He just went right back to him. They got the job done. Third timeout, nine seconds left. Here we go. Right. And I don't know. Uh, correct me if I'm crazy. Vinatieri missed three kicks in this game before this kick. If I'm if if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it wasn't a good day. It for, wasn't for a good Adam. day for Adam Vinatieri coming <laughs> up to this next kick. Uh, he was pretty much the reason the game was still tied. Uh, two kicks. Okay. Yeah. So and he, I, he had and one of them was like a his... 42 yarder, wasn't it? One of them was a short kick. He, I he had also missed in Houston earlier that year, which which everyone was thinking like, man, like this is just not his stadium. This right. is not his venue. I'll never forget. So I, Okay, I was just gonna. I'll never forget my buddy's dad literally yelling at the TV saying, "Cut him in the off season! Cut him in the off season! He's <laughs> done. What is going on with Vinatieri?" And I, I believe he was all right. I don't know. I don't know what you guys think, but well, no, right. But it's like even even with him missing, because I do remember him missing. But when it got to that final kick, I'm like, "Listen, he, he's he's done this before. 
he's he's going to make this field goal. Like, yep. yeah, whatever happened in the first or third, like at that moment, he was becoming a Robert Ory of the NFL. <laughs> yep. Whenever the moment mattered, he was going to rise he's to the occasion. It. So, you know, so yeah, so I, I wasn't worried about that. I'm like, just, just, just get him in position. He's going to make it. And, you know, sorry, Ricky Pro, but your dynasty dreams went down the drain. <laughs> That's where we were as, as fans, right? Like we, if he had made those other two kicks, now he missed one in the four, in the first quarter, one in the third that he missed was actually blocked. So we can't really put that all on him. But I remember thinking like, well, we, we wouldn't even have to do this if he had made the first kick, but here we are, and and that's revisionist history, and it's what the Patriots did, and it's what most teams should do. Get over your mistakes. It happens. Let's try and fix them. I also think, like, if you if you guys remember, again, 2003, right? To this point, there had been four, or th- sorry, there had been three before this kick. Three Super Bowls decided on the last second field goal. Mm-hmm. The first two were missed. Jim O'Brien missed his last second kick in Super Bowl five. Scott Norwood, we all know what happened in Super Bowl 25. Ben and Terry was the only kicker to this point to make a last second field goal kick. And, and now he's he done it twice. And they did it again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, so that, that's so that's the second reference we made to Scott Norwood. So just like Joe said to me, we may lose some fans of Buffalo, but who, who cares, right? No, just, <laughs> It's What's just it? Buffalo. They're just it's jumping just, through. Just I, don't, I don't know if Buffalo is a fan base we want to mess with, guys. You guys seen the tailgates? Get the tables no. right. And just yeah. saying. He's a just saying. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, they're allowing people into their stadium right now, so that's one thing they got going for them. Then Vinatieri makes that field goal, right? And we're champions one more time. And Again, we're champions. And, and at this point, and, and it's not the same emotional feeling that that first championship had like nowhere close. I don't think we're going to see any tears tonight, uh, but <laughs> wow. Wow. Again. Wow. But so this, but this, but the, this, this <laughs> is the official launch of the dynasty, right? Yeah, this, was. Is when, this is when you knew that this wasn't just a one year wonder team. This was a team that the NFL was going to have to deal with. And Tom Brady was a quarterback the NFL was going to have to deal with for a very long time. Granted, no one thought it would be 2020 and the dude would be 43 years old, still dropping dimes. This was that moment where it was like, all right, Patriots are here. Bobby, this is like, again, just echoing your sentiments, dude. Like this was the game. This Mm -hmm. was the season where you could say there is not one thing that the opponent could do that the Patriots could not outdo, right? Oh, one, we didn't know. O two, yeah, right. But O three, like they dominated. If, if you you know you want to play like a a twelve nothing game, we'll beat you. You want to play thirty one nothing, we'll beat you. And if you want to put up thirty or twenty nine points and you know and go toe to toe with us in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl and put up thirty seven points, guess what? Last seconds, we're gonna beat you. Two little tiny pieces of trivia here. Ricky Prohl scored the game tying touchdown in both. Super Bowl wins for the Patriots up to this point. I guess the Rams scored the game-tying touchdown. Panthers, game-tying touchdown. Also, did you guys know Kevin Fox two-point conversion? This dude gained over a 1,000 yards that season combined. It was his first points scored of the entire season on that two-point conversion. That, that was just Which is wild awesome. because he, he really was kind of the the... 
you know, it, this was where he also became what he would go on to be for so many years. So just that, pads. yeah, just that that extra piece that got mm-hmm. the job done, and and he he ended up having to be the guy that needed to score a little bit more. But that's a good piece of trivia. I I didn't know that. I mean, you know, it, this was just so much fun because you you win it again, and now, but now, you know, Ray Ray's over here celebrating. Uh, you know, it's like we're in 03 again. But it, and then, but it was kind of like all right. You know, like our parents had told us, like, especially my dad was like, you know, don't get used to this because it doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, now we're starting to get a little used to it because it's happened twice in three years. Um, and and we'll get to what happens. I get the second drop for 04. We'll get to what happens in 04. But it's just th- this was really what kicked off the the I, I don't want to call it dominance yet at this point, uh, but it, 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 it they don't, I, they, they, I, they don't lose another game until like November of the next year. Yeah, it, it's 20, it's, 21 game winning streak yeah. uh, that ended against, I believe it was the Steelers the next year in like week nine. Oh, ha- Halloween. How? Yeah. So That's like right. th- this team was real and and they were here to stay. And yep. that's that's really where it leads right into 2004. Now, here's a question. Next episode. Is it a championship rewrap slash? No, 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 yeah, there's there's no hangover. They just kept drinking. (laughs) Yeah, they just kept going. We'll call it the uh, we'll call it the power hour or the there you go, the uh, hair of the dog. That's the next podcast. I'm not gonna say 2004 Patriots, the hair of the dog. Yeah, no, you don't like that. No, no, uh, but yeah, so this this was the one that launched it 2003 Patriots, uh, the second of six Super Bowls over the next 20 years. So we'll definitely be talking about this team again in the future. Uh, for Rayshon Buchanan, Mark Marcangelo, Joe Malkin, I'm the real BK Bob Kelly. This has been the 2003 New England Patriots Championship Rewrap. We'll see you guys in the next championship. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SNSW Podcast. The SNSW Podcast is a one-hour weekly, two-hour monthly podcast recapping the biggest stories in the world of sports, with a New England flavor. The show notes and transcripts of today's episode can be found in our description box below, as well as our WordPress and Buzzsprout pages. If you're new to the show and you like what you heard, please consider subscribing. It's the easiest way to see when we publish new episodes. We are on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate us and leave a review of any of our shows. We always appreciate your feedback. Also, be sure to follow us on all of our social medias. All of our links will be in the show notes. For the SNSW crew, I'm Craig D'Alessandro. We'll talk to you next time. Are you a fan of classic cinema or a young person who wants to discover the best films of all time? Do these legendary movies still hold up? On the Generation Film Podcast, two guys who grew up when movies dominated the culture share a great film with a panel of young movie lovers and see how it plays for today's generation. We discuss changes in storytelling styles, representation, and the making of each film, its initial reception, and how its meaning has changed over the years. Join us as we explore cinema classics across generations on Generation Film. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. 
It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed.